This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt F. the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to the April 13th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and of course, one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Uh, Nick. It has seemingly been an eternity since we did a show together. How are you doing? Yeah, it's it's absolutely been a, a while. Obviously, we had the week off. Then I had my nose surgery. So last weekend was just me doing a quick, you know, run of his live over uh, a, a pre-recorded video with you guys asking questions over the Twitter sphere. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. With the hashtag RV Live. Uh, and then uh, this week, I'm finally kind of back to like 80, 90%, I think. And uh, I think we'll be back to the routine schedule next week with the midweek podcast. Uh, the Friday pod, of course, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. But man, I can actually like uh, kind of breathe out of both my nostrils, and I think that's you know pretty much a victory. But uh, the past couple of weekends of racing have been pretty awesome. So we had Texas this past weekend. Uh, I thought it would be kind of a relatively tame race, just given what we saw last year at Texas. Both races were super tame, very predictable. And then this past race weekend, uh, at least as far as the finishers, it was very predictable. The part that was unpredictable was predicting the finishers. Uh, there was a lot of crashes, a lot of uh, spin-outs, some, some blown tires, which made some, some, some crazy times. But by and large, the finishers that actually finished were very predictable. And uh, the only thing I think that was like I really missed on was Kyle Larson because uh, – we'll talk about this. But my, I wrote him in my article as a GPP play. And then that was, of course, on Saturday. On Sunday morning, pre-race inspection, he failed it three times, so he got sent to the back of the field. Uh, I still would have been on Kyle Larson, even though he got sent to the back, just because he's so good, and Texas was a great place for him. And I figured if everybody went away from him because of the news, that would lower his ownership. And he was only about 15 16% owned, which I loved. And he came charging through the field. He got up to fourth or third you know, fifth or fourth place right around there and then blew a tire and hit the wall. So uh, I still think that was a very good play. 
ultimately, obviously, if you played Carl Larson, it was a rough day because he blew a tire, but you can't really predict those things. But the model did predict very well the actual finishers who did finish, and that's the whole point of the model is to predict if a driver finishes, how well he do, and it did very well. And congratulations to Stevie Young. Stevie TPFL, our good friend uh, over at Roto Grinders, one of the best NASCAR DFS minds you'll ever meet. He crushed it this past week, and he won all of the GPPs for almost $20,000. So congratulations to Stevie uh, for winning the Texas Slate. He also won the Bristol – or sorry, the Texas uh, Xfinity Slate. So he weekend sweep. Great job, Stevie. But, man, I'm ready to be back. It's Bristol. I am here in Long Beach, California for the IndyCar race, by the way. So I'm in a hotel right now. We're hanging out, uh, me and my wife, having a good time. Just kind of got here, and uh, they actually have some absolute vodka right next to uh, the, the desk here. So I might indulge in that after we record this. It sounds like just a dangerous weekend for you. Uh, a f- yes, a few things. Total congrats to Stevie on the Texas sweep. Uh, also, congrats to you on being able now to breathe out of both nostrils. That is, a, it's it's a it's a big win. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's a life goal basically for everybody to be able to do that. Uh, in terms of road of his live, I think it's actually pretty optimal for you just to be taking questions off of Twitter in advance and then be recording it on your own. I think that's a good way to do it. And then uh, to catch you up on my saga since we last recorded. So when we recorded, I believe it was for the, I can't remember, it was the race before Texas, which would have been Martinsville. Did I make that up? You got it. So I was in uh, Delaware uh, hanging out with the in-laws. I was recording at like a a small little desk that was fit for like a five-year-old child. So my legs were all cramped. And uh, about five minutes after uh, I finished uh, editing the the pod and posting it, uh, I got massive food sickness that lasted for about 24 hours. Oh it it was the worst. I had to like postpone my flight out for a day. Are you um, serious? Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah. I, you didn't tell me this even. No, but... it was it well, was and, the and absolute the other worst. thing that happened this past weekend was you also had your birthday. So happy birthday! Oh, yes, uh, one week later. Yes, it was it was very momentous. In fact. Um, uh, Eden and some friends uh, rented a limo and we uh, drove to a place that was about like an hour and a half away and uh, it was it was an awesome time uh, so uh, yeah it was sort of like super uber you know for a, a group of us so yeah uh, a lot of good things have happened uh, since we were last on the show but uh, it, it's yeah good, well it's one, more thing, one more thing one more thing so obviously you had your birthday last weekend but there's one other thing that's very important about your birthday. My cat has the same birthday as you, and he oh, just cool. turned 17. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's probably like half of your age, but in cat years, I think he's like a million. Yeah, I I turned 35, so almost you know pretty close. Just just about as close as you can be to half of my age. There you go. Well, happy birthday, Matt. Thank you. All right, uh, let, let's get into it. This weekend, NASCAR heads to Bristol Motor Speedway for the Food City 500. Uh, Bristol is a .566 mile highly banked oval that is known for its high banks, high tempers, and high intensity racing. You can tell I didn't write this. Nick totally wrote everything I just read there. Uh, Nick, what should we expect out of this weekend? Yeah, all of that high writing might have something to do with me, right? But uh, uh, yeah, no, Bristol is uh, Bristol's a lot of fun. Obviously, it's one of the biggest races of nascar season two of the biggest races i should say because they race there in the spring and the fall but uh yeah high intensity high banks 
uh, high tempers because what, what will happen at Bristol very often is, especially these days since they kind of reconfigure the track, um, the, there's really been one line, and it's the high line. It used to be before Bristol reconfigured. Um, well, actually, Bristol went through two reconfigurations, but many years ago, it was just one line. It was the low line, and you had to shove somebody out of the way and kind of hit them in the rear bumper and, and move them out of the way and get underneath them on the low line. Now, uh, well, and then they went through one conf- reconfiguration where they did some progressive banking, and there was kind of a high low high line and low line, but the fans didn't really like it because there was no contact whatsoever, uh, which is kind of weird because the racing was actually really good. You could pass anywhere, essentially. Uh, and then fans clamored for more you know, beating and banging, and so Bristol re-repaved, and uh, it's a concrete track, and they finally made it to where now the main racing line is the high line, and uh, the way to get past people is with what we call the slide job. So, um, you know, you might be racing the high line, but if you want to pass somebody and you're faster than them, you dive bomb them in the corner. You go underneath them, and you slide up front of them, going into the high line, coming out of the corner and get in front of them. And, and so that's called the, you know, the NASCAR slide job, especially at Bristol. But uh, it doesn't always work, and uh, obviously sometimes people will still move each other out of the way. But uh, certainly there are points in the race where you'll see drivers racing really hard. I remember many lead changes or many lead battles between Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch where they're just racing side by side or, or nose to tail, and then lap traffic gets in the way. And that's another feature of Bristol is just the lap traffic. Uh, obviously it's a, it's, you know, a track that's less than six tenths of a mile long. You're going to come up, come up on the tail end of the field very quickly if you're the leader. And how do you navigate traffic? That's very important. So that's going to play a factor in, um, you know, the number of dominators. It's going to play a factor in the, just in terms of what do you expect from who's going to lead the race. But, uh, you know, the, the top drivers here at Bristol are drivers that consistently are up there at Bristol, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, we'll talk about the important stats, but it always seems like the same drivers are up front at Bristol and they're battling each other. And you actually get some for, for, for a track that is kind of hard to pass at. It seems like in some ways you get a lot of good, uh, battles for the lead, even though you don't necessarily get a lot of lead changes. I think it's harder to pass for the lead than it is to battle for the lead. So, um, Bristol going to be a lot of fun. I, I love racing at Bristol. It's it's something everybody, if you had the chance to go to a race at Bristol, uh, you know, it's the border of Tennessee and Virginia, down southwest Virginia or northern Tennessee, you should absolutely go. It is a lot of fun, and the racing is just intense, high intensity as we talked about. But uh, yeah, going to be. I, I think the most important thing this weekend will be trying to figure out the dominators and just then just you know following the battle for the lead because it's always so intense. All right, so you mentioned uh, that Bristol has had two reconfigurations. I imagine that uh, that changes the racing dynamics that we have seen there throughout the years. So how does all of that factor into your model? Yeah, so it, it's pretty interesting because um, my model really does – obviously, Bristol being a half-mile track means you can get a lot of laps in practice. You know, uh, if a track is – let's just round it to a half-mile – if a track is a half mile long, you can get 30 laps in, and that's only 15 miles, versus a two-mile track, all of a sudden you can only get seven and a half laps to do 15 miles. So uh, obviously we're going to have very long runs at Bristol for practice, and that's something that's going to be important to pay attention to because the 10-lap uh, average is, is highly significant in the model. 
Uh, one of the things I thought is very strange, which has changed over the years, is the starting position at Bristol. Um, that actually does play a factor in the model. It's not a huge factor, but in the past it didn't play a, a you know a role. But in the past year, with two races last year and then two races the year before, where we've kind of grown more and more data, starting position does come into play. And then obviously, uh, what is your history at steep tracks and especially Bristol? So both track type. Uh, which is the steep tracks we consider Bristol, we consider Dover, uh, we consider Darlington and Homestead as the steep tracks. All four of those, what is your track history at those the last year or two? Uh, and then especially what is your Bristol track history? That plays a big role, and that's why we tend to see the same drivers up front, Kyle Busch, Matt Kenseth back when he was racing, Kyle Larson. They all tend to be up front. Kurt Busch, he, he qualified on the outside of the front row this weekend. You know, we see the same drivers over and over and over again at Bristol. It really tells you something uh, that it is a driver's track, just like Martinsville was, but totally different in that Martinsville is a flat track. Same, same, essentially the same length, but a flat track, much lower speeds. Average lap is around 90-something miles an hour. At Bristol, the average lap is well over 120, 130 miles an hour. So, uh, yeah, very different track, but also a driver's track, very different style of driving. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool. You know, a driver like Martin Truex Jr. has never really dominated at Bristol. So even though most people every weekend love Martin Truex Jr., he's probably not a driver you're going to want to select this weekend just because he's never had a history of dominating at Bristol. Very much a driver's track. Track uh, history, type history are important. I will say one thing about Martin Truex Jr. Last year, the first race at Bristol was the only race he's ever really uh, led a lot of laps at. But uh, I wouldn't count on that going forward, especially – you know, like I said, starting position is important because uh, if you don't start up front at Bristol, it's hard to get through a lot of cars on a short track. Truex starts 26 this weekend, so, uh, you know, he might be great for a place differential play, but I would not count on him for dominator points. All right, we have so much more to get to, but before that, you know what's coming. I need to remind you that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Also, we have a new sponsor this week, so I really want to tell you about them. It is MyBookie. If you are subscribing to the Road of His NASCAR package, then you have access to a lot of great tools and data that can help you figure out uh, what is going to happen in any given race. So with all the research that you're doing and the knowledge you have, you should place some NASCAR bets at mybookie.ag. They have a variety of future bets for each race, and they have also some great head-to-head prop bets that allow you to take, say, like Martin Truex Jr. versus Kevin Harvick or Joey Logano versus Brad Keselowski or almost any combination of drivers you can think of. And also, Nick writes a piece and I write a piece at the Action Network that will break down uh, some of the bets that you could place at my bookie. Uh, I've had a lot of fun playing the NASCAR prop bets at my bookie using the information in Rotodox articles and tools. Uh, it's something of a Sunday morning ritual for me to go through all of the bets at my bookie, and I think you will find it's a fun way to leverage your Rotoviz subscription. Uh, so if you're looking to place some action in my bookie, here's what you should do. Go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code, get ready for this, NASCAR. How baller is that that we got That's the promo a difficult code one, man. NASCAR. Can you, remember, can you remember that? Can you remember the promo code NASCAR? Because I, I think NASCAR. That is the best promo code we could have gotten. It could have been something really obscure like 
RV NASCAR pod or whatever, but just boom, NASCAR, right? This is this is this is why we we have you on the podcast, Matt, because you're the brains behind the podcast. Right, exactly. So just go to go to my bookie, put in the promo code NASCAR, and you get a fifty percent bonus. Uh, MyBookie.ag. So do it, people. Leverage that Rotoviz subscription. Uh, okay, let's get back to talking about Bristol. You talked about finishing position, uh, but at a 500-lap race, dominators are very important. Uh, what are the statistics that you are looking for when it comes to dominators? Yeah, it's funny because, uh, you know, we talked about how track history is so important, type history is so important for dominators, or, or sorry, for uh, just the general race at Bristol. It's almost the exact same thing for dominators, and, and I don't think you'd ordinarily expect that, but in a track where like just just how good you are at being a driver at a steep track, running the high line, uh, avoiding incidents that are, are completely ridiculous, uh, it, it really plays into the kind of the same thing. So honestly, track dominance is more important than type dominance when you're looking at dominators. So if you look at drivers that are great at steep tracks, there are certain drivers that are great at steep tracks, and there are certain drivers that are great at Bristol. Uh, so you actually want to weigh your your dominators towards Bristol more than steep tracks. So that's the big difference between finishing position and dominators is finishing position really relies on all the steep tracks because it's kind of a style of racing. But the pure elite are the elite of the elite and you know the elite of the elite, and they are the, the ones that shine at Bristol all the time. So your Kyle Busch's, your Kyle Larson's. Joey Logano's, even Brad Keselowski occasionally, Kevin Harvick occasionally. But, I mean, honestly, when I think of Bristol, I think of Brad Keselowski – or, sorry, I think of Kyle Busch and I think of Kyle Larson at Bristol. Um, those are the guys I always want to play at Bristol basically every weekend. It's, it's really not going to change for me um, unless they have some kind of issues like we had last weekend uh, with, uh, you know, with, with, with Kyle Larson. Um, he, I wrote him in my article last weekend. He was a great play, and then all of a sudden – an hour and a half, two hours before the race, the announcement comes. He failed inspection three times, and he's going to the back of the field just before the race started. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of a weird thing. But make sure you pay attention to those things. But by and large, at Bristol, you want to be playing the drivers that are great at Bristol. If you know as the highest driver rating at Bristol, I bet you don't. Take one guess. Mm, I can't guess. Do you want nah. to guess? Kurt Busch. You, nope, you don't. You didn't get it right. But uh, you can go to NASCAR or rotaviz.com slash NASCAR hyphen splits. Just pick Bristol. And uh, guess what? Who is the highest rating over the last eight Bristol races? Well, he hasn't raced eight Bristol races. He's raced, I think, three of them. It's Eric Jones, 116.4. And uh, it seems tailor-made for Eric Jones. So uh, Bristol is definitely a track where you want to rely on track history for dominators and finishing position. Um, finishing position, more rely on steep track. Dominators, much more rely on track history specifically. Like if you're pulling out Darlington to figure out Bristol for dominators, you're probably doing it a little bit wrong. But, uh, in general, you want to go, you know, you want to go with, um, steep track history for finishing position and actual Bristol history for dominators. Okay. This year, uh, lead changes are tied for a 25 year low. Is this a trend that uh, we should be expecting going forward? And specifically, is that something we might want to take a look at for Bristol? Yeah, so they're tied for a 25-year low with last year. And uh, obviously last year there were 
uh, many races where we expected maybe multiple dominators or things like that. And all we got was the first and second place drivers dominating. Bristol's not really one of those races where you just expect first and second to dominate. Um, you expect that a lot to mile and a half, I would say. You expect that maybe even occasionally at something like Phoenix. Uh, but, uh, you know, Bristol's one of those tracks where anything can happen. You'll get cautions at any time. Uh, obviously, with the stages, the short track nature, the slide jobs, the beating, the banging, you'll probably get multiple dominators here. So I think it makes most sense this weekend to you know, kind of predict there will be two to three dominators. If we look last year at Bristol, for example, and just look at the, the dominators, uh, Eric Jones led 260 laps and Kyle Busch 156 laps and then Kyle Larson 70 laps. So 70 laps is kind of like right in the borderline of dominating at Bristol because it's 500 laps long. But uh, Kyle Larson still led 14% of the race. So you had two like major dominators and then Kyle Larson leading about 14% of the race. That was the second race at Bristol last year. The first race at Bristol last year, a little bit different. You still had two major dominators, Kyle Larson again, and we talked about Martin Tricks Jr. dominating. But then the other two dominators were Jimmy Johnson and Joey Logano, who both led uh, around 15% of the laps. So usually you get two major dominators and a third minor. Sometimes you just get two major dominators. We saw that a couple years ago with Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson – or sorry – uh, Kyle Busch and Joey Logano uh, just essentially dominating the proceedings. They combined led 370 laps. Uh, we did have Carl Edwards in that race lead about 75 laps, which is, again, 15%. So most of the time you get two major dominators and a third minor dominator, maybe sometimes even a fourth minor dominator who leads around 10 to 15%. And that's significant in a 500-mile race. So I do think you really want to be focusing on dominators this weekend. Uh Nailing them, though, can be kind of hard, as we've talked about, because who expected Eric Jones to lead 260 laps in the second Bristol race last year? You know, he uh, he started on the pole, he finished second, but he's so good at Bristol, and uh, I think that's really where you see the driver's track become the driver's track. You know, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Eric Jones, you always see the same names up front at Bristol. It's so weird because you might see a guy like Matt Benedetto finish in sixth because he's a great steep track driver and avoided all the accidents, but uh, you're, you know, you're probably not going to see a guy like AJ Allmendinger finish fourth or fifth most weekends because he's more of a flat track driver. Uh, even if he avoids the accidents, there was one year, you know, he started eighth and finished ninth, but uh, not really his thing to kind of, uh, you know, finish way up there. But it, it is certainly a steep track driver's track. But if you're a dominator, you absolutely want to be a driver who can dominate here routinely. So um, a weird situation with Bristol in that, you know, like we've already talked about. Steep track drivers are great at Bristol, but you really want the, the Bristol dominators to continue dominating Bristol for the most part. Okay, how are you approaching dominators this weekend for single-entry single, uh, single entry versus multi-entry GPPs? It's so tough because um, – and when I say single-entry on the outline, maybe let, let's talk like three max because you're, you're basically limited in your entries. Uh, I think what you want to do is – Given that Bristol dominators are usually pretty tight, um, you know, usually Logano, Jones, Bush, Larson, these types of drivers, um, I think you want to focus your domination, uh, you know, your dominator picks on these drivers and then uh, mix and match, especially in like a three entry, mix and match the other drivers. Obviously, you're multi entering. What I think you should do is mix and match your dominators as well. Uh, and maybe actually almost pick a core of, of drivers that can move forward. 
because I think because of the less cautions that we've had than in the past, because of the fewer accidents we've had in the past than in the past, um, there, there, there just tends to be less wrecks. Obviously, Texas was an exception last weekend. And I think some of that may have had to do with the temperature, uh, the fact that, you know, these drivers were practiced in 35 degree weather and then raced in 65 degree weather. Uh, but uh, at Bristol this weekend, I, you know, with the, the concrete track, the track seems to be more consistent over a range of temperatures. And that's one of the things about concrete versus asphalt as well, which we really haven't touched on, is concrete is white. It kind of reflects the light, whereas asphalt's dark. It absorbs the light. Uh, it tends to absorb temperature, light, all that. And, and so there's much more dramatic effects at an asphalt track than a, a you know a concrete track in terms of of the temperature or the race conditions, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think overall in terms of like what you should do with dominators and single entry or, or three max is just pick your dominators, just hope they're good. Um, you know, you, there's usually a set three or four or five guys that you can pick from, and you kind of want to nail them, obviously, but you usually can nail them from starting position things like that, uh, how they practice. The, the splits, or sorry, the uh, NASCAR Sims app will be very good this weekend for nailing upside and dominators. So I definitely use the rotaviz.com slash NASCAR hyphen Sims app to, to pinpoint the upside of, of the dominators. And that's what I would do. And then I would mix and, max my, mix and match my place differential guys because of the randomness that is involved at Bristol. Um, like I said, there's less randomness than in the past, but at least in terms of the drivers that do finish there seems to be a lot of shuffle just because of all the cautions we can have, uh, the different stages, the fact that it's such a short track. Anything can happen at Bristol. So I like to mix and match my place differential guys and maybe play a little bit of ownership ownership percentage leverage on those drivers. All right, you talked about the key stats for Bristol. Who are the top drivers uh, who fit the key stats that tend to predict domination or uh, maybe not even domination, but just uh, – great fantasy finishes at Bristol. Yeah. And obviously I've talked about uh, some of them just going through talking about dominators, but Eric Jones, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, those are the three that absolutely come to mind. Um, before last year, Joey Logano really came to mind. And even last year he had one of the two races uh, he, he dominated, you know, or partially dominated at. It was the first of the two, which of course was for his big uh, Richmond suspension or, you know, violation i should say that occurred but Lagana is doing the same thing again this year if you if you were to you know name the top two drivers in points you wouldn't expect that joey logano second in points right now but he is so uh you know he's kind of back right now he hasn't had any wins he hasn't had any second place finishes but he's had many top fives uh top six top seven eight finishes he's been right up there i wouldn't be surprised if he dominates this weekend but you really have to look at the same drivers kyle larson joey logano uh kyle bush Kyle, uh, sorry, Eric Jones. I mean, those are the guys that we, we see their names pop up again and again. Even if you look at like the Xfinity series, Eric Jones was always right up there in terms of possibly dominating the race. Um, back in the day before Carl Edwards retired, he was always a threat at Bristol to dominate. Seems like every race, essentially, he was dominating that, you know, he ran at Bristol. Uh, I, I look at back at his three most previous races at Bristol. He was a dominator in each one of those, Carl Edwards. So um, Carl Edwards led 31 laps in one of them with 19 fastest laps. It's not as dominant, but then 276 laps led with 85 fastest laps. The race before that, 74 laps led with 33 fastest laps. It seems to be the same guys. And then you go to that race with Carl Edwards that I just talked about that last one. Joey Logano and Kyle Busch were the other dominators. Um, Denny Hamlin seems to repeat several times. 
Uh, Landon Castle seems to repeat. No, I'm just kidding. He actually did dominate, though. Uh, he led 20 laps once, but I think it was off sequence. But that can happen at Bristol. So you, you should be aware of that. That uh, It's Bristol. Anything can happen. It's one of the lowest predictability uh, races in terms of the model in finishing position. And sometimes that translates into dominator points as well. But, uh, yeah, mainly you want to look for the drivers that have dominated Bristol in the past. So you'll see Kevin Harvick pop up there as well. You'll see uh, Jimmy Johnson pop up there as well. But I really think the top dominators are Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, uh, and Eric Jones possibly even this weekend. Okay, the drivers outside of the top tier, who are the guys who stand out according to the key stats? Yeah, I think uh, it's a very interesting weekend if you look at just like steep track, what drivers are are very good at the steep track. Um, Obviously, you've got the big names, and so we're going to go outside of those big names. But, uh, I mean, Chase Elliott, very good at steep tracks. Jimmy Johnson, both of those names I think will pop up just because they haven't been um, dominant this year. And obviously, at a track like Bristol where it's only just over a half mile long, I think things like aerodynamics come less into play uh, and more driver talent comes into play. So I think Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott could be interesting plays this weekend. Obviously, Johnson qualified 17th. uh, Chase Elliott qualified 16th. So there's some place differential potential for those. Uh, Kevin Harvick didn't even make a qualifying lap. We should talk about that. But, uh, you know, he starts 39th. So you have to make decisions here because Harvick in 39th at 11,500 versus Chase Elliott qualified 16th at 10,100. Well, that's a $1,400 price difference, but uh, obviously with Harvick, you have much more safety. So very much cash game play for Harvick, but Elliot, is he an upside play? Is he a driver to finish top three, top five? Uh, I think we'll definitely want to look at the long run because he's had a very good Bristol history, a uh, very good steep track history. Um, some other drivers that are maybe a little bit cheaper, Jamie McMurray and Ryan Newman always seem to pop up together at the experience tracks. And uh, once again, Jamie McMurray and Ryan Newman, are the names right there at the top of the, you know, maybe the mid-tier leaderboard, if you want to call it that. Uh, Jay McMurray, over his last uh, eight steep track races, has the 10th best driver rating. Ryan Newman, the 11th best driver rating, and they're basically neck and neck, 83.9, 83.5. They're a good distance behind Joey Logano at 93.7, but then they're also uh, you know, a little bit ahead of actually Brad Keselowski uh, right there in 13th, sorry, 10th, 11th, 12th place, Brad Keselowski in driver rating. 13th place right after that, Austin Dillon. So uh, I definitely think, you know, Newman, McMurray, Austin Dillon make a lot of sense. And then the one guy in terms of specifically Bristol that makes a lot of sense is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, he's going to be very popular. He always is at Bristol. So there's that concern with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is what is his ownership percentage going to be? I think obviously this weekend with him qualifying fourth, It'll probably deflate his ownership percentage, and I also think it should because it doesn't make him as great of a play when he's starting fourth and will probably finish eighth or ninth, uh, get some negative place differential. And he is just expensive enough. You know, they, they raised his price this weekend versus last weekend where he was seven or 69, 700 or 7,000. Uh, he's 7,600 this weekend starting fourth because of qualifying, very good qualifying effort for him. He's very good at this track. If he finishes there, he's a great play. If he finishes eighth, you know, obviously that's 44 minus eight, so that's uh, 36, but then you have to subtract four, it's 32. It's like borderline okay for him. So tough to play Stenhouse, but normally you would say he's a very good play going into Bristol this weekend. Who are some of the drivers based on the statistics you are looking to avoid this weekend? 
Yeah, it's it's pretty tough because um, Clint Boyer, for example, is a name that in the statistics doesn't pop out very well. Uh, obviously, with his steep track results, they weren't they weren't, they weren't great last year. His driver rating sixty eight point five. Um, obviously, before that, he had a terrible team to work with, which was the H Scott Motorsports. But even if you remove his DNFs, you remove his terrible races. Still not very good. 67.3 driver rating. Ryan Blaney, the same thing. You remove his DNFs. And, and Blaney's been, you know, obviously running for essentially a Penske affiliate. I mean, he won a race last year at Pocono. Steep tracks aren't his thing. 66.9 driver rating over the last eight steep track races that he's finished. So, uh, Blaney, Boyer, Menard, not the best plays this weekend. I mentioned Paul Menard as well. Uh, 63.0 driver rating. Maybe it's a little bit better given the fact that he's in better equipment now. So I, I probably would kind of strike Menard from the negativity, but I definitely think Boyer and Blaney are drivers that maybe you want to be avoiding right now. Uh, Eric Almarola as well, a tough situation to digest there because he's 24th in driver rating, but obviously he was racing with a lesser team the last couple of years. Um, so tough to gauge Almarola. I would more rely on practice with him, but even then, still a very random uh, race. So it's tough to say like, oh, okay, Almarola, you know, 10th best in uh, or 8th best in 10 lap average, all of a sudden he's a start. I still wouldn't go crazy on him just because he hasn't shown a lot at steep tracks in the past. Okay, finally, any Joe Dirt cheap drivers that you were targeting? Yeah, well, one driver that we should be targeting is uh, Chris Buescher, and he's kind of been elevated above the Joe Dirt cheap level this weekend, which I think is good. Um, DraftKings should absolutely be elevating him up at this point. He starts 22nd. Uh, he's $6,100, and he's much better at the steep tracks than he is at the flat tracks. Unlike his teammate, A.J. Elmendinger, is kind of the opposite. But another driver that I think is very important to target at the steep tracks, uh, especially at Bristol, is Trevor Bain. This is one of my favorite plays this weekend, um, especially after qualifying. He's $6,000, so again, not really Joe Dirt, but I think we say Joe Dirt is like 6000 or below, so he kind of qualifies for Joe Dirt. But Trevor Bain, amazing play, starting 33rd. Very good at the steep tracks. You know, he has a driver rating better than Ty Dillon, Chris Buescher, Almarola, AJ Allmendinger, uh, right up there with Blaney and Menard and Boyer. So uh, starting 33rd, very good. If you want to dig like really deep into the Joe Dirt cheap, cheap tier, which is kind of what we're, you know, mainly talking about, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, David Reagan's an okay play. Matt Benedetto does often very well at Bristol. He's got a, you know, a top 10 finish at Bristol for Matt Benedetto. His price is up to 5600 uh, And then I don't hate Landon Castle for $4,600. The issue with Castle is he qualified 29th. But, you know, if uh, if he just survives and advances six places just because people are crashing out or whatever, finishes 23rd at $4,600, that's huge. So I don't hate Landon Castle this weekend. Um, there's some other names. Corey LaJoy, Greg Galding. They're, they're not necessarily great. Like Greg Galding doesn't have a great steep track record, so I'd probably mostly ignore him. Uh, but, yeah, Matt Benedetto, Landon Castle, uh, Michael McDowell even, I guess, has been pretty good here at the past. I'd, I'd rely mostly on those names. Uh, outside of that, you're kind of just throwing darts with uh, Galding, with Harrison Rhodes, with Ross Chastain. You're kind of, like I said, you're throwing darts. I mean, Galding qualified 28th. Ross Chastain qualified 27th. Landon Castle qualified 29th. I'd much rather have Castle than all three of, the, uh, of those three drivers he starts the furthest back, and he's the cheapest. So, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer, at least among 
Castle, Galding, and Chastain that you're playing Castle. Uh, Sorensen and DJ Kennington, I mean, they're 51 and $5,200. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, given they haven't shown much here in the past. So in the Joe Dirt cheap tier, I mean, I really think you're looking at Trevor Bain uh, at 6000 or, or Chris Buescher at 6100 And then I think maybe you're looking at Deep at 5600 and Landon Castle at 4600 as the best plays in the Joe Dirt cheap tier right now. Okay, Nick. Uh, give us the breakdown for the NASCAR schedule that you will have this weekend. Yeah, so uh, obviously, um, you know, this is uh, I'm traveling this weekend. Like I said, I'm at the in Long Beach, California, at the the Long Beach Grand Prix for, Prix for Indy cars. But uh, the schedule remained as normal, so we've got practice tomorrow morning. Uh, and in Pacific time, it's super early. Like the first practice is at like 5 a.m. Pacific time or 6 a.m. Pacific time, something like that. Uh, and then second practice ends at like 9 a.m. Pacific time. So um, that's like noon Eastern for, for you Eastern people. But uh, after that, I'll absolutely be updating the apps, the article, uh, getting everything out as soon as I can so that I can enjoy some some Saturday time in Long Beach and uh, catch qualifying maybe or practice for the IndyCar races. Uh, and then Saturday evening will be Road of His Live because Sunday obviously is a race day here for the Indy uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix of Grand Prix of Long Beach. Uh, tough to say, but uh, yeah. So Road of His Live will be at uh, 5:30 Pacific time, so that's 8:30 Eastern time on Saturday evening. And we're gonna do what we did last weekend, do the Twitter thing. Um, so tweet me RV Live hashtag RV Live on Twitter. I'll answer all your questions. And I'll record that and post it up on uh, rotaviz.com slash live. And uh, it'll be behind the paywall because uh, a lot of you are wanting all that stuff to go behind the paywall. Very good advice last weekend. Obviously, if you uh, played Kyle Larson, it didn't go so well. But if you played Kyle Busch, it went great. Every other pick that we had essentially went, went amazing. Um, I told people to pivot off of Busch onto Larson. I think it was a very good pick, but uh, you know that's what happens. But we're going to do the same thing on Road of His Live again this weekend. I think we're going to have an awesome weekend. And uh, so that's 5.30 Eastern. I will be recording Road of His Live. I'm not sure if we'll be live or not. I haven't really figured it out with the internet and, and the uh, live schedule here. But tweet me as soon as you're ready. Tweet me RV Live, hashtag RV Live on Twitter, and I'll answer all of your questions for the show. All right, that's going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguapo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Factory.